It's another episode of MLB Morning Coffee a little bit later here on a Thursday from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. My name is Greg Moraz, your host as per usual. Appreciate everybody that tuned into our episode yesterday with David Fine of the Reading Royals of the ECHL. I found that to be a very informative conversation. It's understandable how hockey and baseball have a lot of comparative values to both of them. So today, I wanted to do something I call flying blind. And why I call it this is that there are certain biases that come with a fan's perspective on who is better in a scenario. And my good friend Tyler Ullman, who we've had on this podcast, gave me the idea to test out blind numbers in order to have people make a collective decision. And the reason why I think this is important is that people are going to have their own personal biases in terms of deciding who is a better player. For this scenario, I want to test out who is truly the best postseason pitcher. And I think that that rolls into the narrative of who is actually a better pitcher because the regular season numbers of these guys in their career don't compare. But the postseason numbers play a lot better into the narrative of one of these guys than the other. So let's take player A and player B. So I want to go with player A's first five postseason starts, and then I will contrast it with player B's first five postseason starts. So here's player A's first five postseason starts. Start one, six and two-thirds innings, nine hits, two runs, one walk, four strikeouts, allowed a homer. Start number two. Four and two-thirds innings, four hits, five runs, five walks, three strikeouts. So that's significantly worse. Postseason start number three. Seven innings, three hits, one run, three walks, 12 strikeouts. Postseason start number four. Six innings, three hits, two unearned runs, one walk, six strikeouts. Postseason start number five. Six innings, two hits, one unearned run, one walk, and five strikeouts. So these numbers collectively are pretty good. Of his first five postseason starts, he has four of them that are at least six innings, four of them that are two runs or less. That one outlier, start number two, he walked five, gave up five runs in four and two-thirds. Now let's look at player B. Player B's first postseason start. Six innings, six hits, two runs, one walk, five strikeouts, gave up a homer. Player B's second start. Very similar to player A's second start. Four and two-thirds, six hits, Three runs, one walk, six strikeouts. I didn't take into account, by the way, player A's bullpen appearances in the postseason. I want to base it strictly on starts until we get to World Series appearances. Now, player B's third postseason start was a World Series game. Eight innings, three hits, no runs, two walks, and six strikeouts. Earned the win. A shutout over eight innings. His third postseason start, 
a World Series game. Let's go to postseason start number four. Not a great one here. Four and a third, seven hits, four runs, one walk, four strikeouts. And postseason start number five, three and two thirds, eight hits, six runs, one walk, two strikeouts, gave up two home runs. So when you look at this, you see two elite starts in the first five for player B. Two bad starts. Actually, I'll make the argument three bad starts. Player A, you have some pretty good starts, one elite start, and one bad start. Now, let's look into their previous five postseason starts. More of a recency bias thing. So let's go with the previous five postseason starts. I'm going to work backwards here. So, player A, his most recent postseason start, six innings, six hits, three runs, one walk, four strikeouts. The start before, seven innings, seven hits, four runs, no walks, five strikeouts. That was a World Series start. Start before that, also a World Series start. Four innings, seven hits, five runs, three walks, five strikeouts. Let's go to the start before that. Seven innings, three hits, one run, two walks, and nine strikeouts. Finally, the fifth most recent start for player A. Three innings, six hits, five runs, four earned, two walks, and two strikeouts. So you've got one really good start in there two okay starts, and then three bad starts. And I consider a bad start to be anything less than five innings in which you give up more than three runs. And even five innings and three runs is probably not a great start. So that's player A. Let's go to player B's five most recent postseason starts. The most recent, five innings, seven hits, three runs, one walk, four strikeouts. The start before that, complete game, nine innings shutout, four hits, two walks, six strikeouts. The start before that, a World Series start. Nine innings, four hits, no walks, eight strikeouts, a shutout. The start before that, also a World Series start. Seven innings, three hits, one run, one walk, five strikeouts. So we've got two more. The start before that, eight innings, five hits, three runs, two walks, five strikeouts. And then the fifth most recent postseason start, seven and two-thirds of shutout baseball, one walk, and seven strikeouts, four hits allowed. So in terms of recency bias, I have to go with player B. Player B's got a much better recency bias. So... Let's now compare the overall postseason pitching statistics. This is starter and reliever of these two guys. Player A has pitched 158 postseason innings, has given up 78 earned runs on 130 hits. His ERA in the postseason is 4.43. 4.43 in 32 postseason appearances. 
Let's go to player B. Now, player B has 16 postseason appearances, but 102 and a third innings, an ERA of 211, 24 earned runs on 74 hits, 18 walks, and 87 strikeouts, while giving up only eight homers. Just to contrast in the postseason, player A has given up 24 homers. Now let's look to the World Series. Both of these pitchers have pitched in multiple World Series. So I will give you the game logs, starter and relief, of player A's World Series appearances. World Series appearance number one for player A. Seven innings, three hits, one run, no walks, 11 strikeouts. World Series appearance number two. Four and two-thirds innings, four hits, six runs, three walks, two strikeouts. World Series appearance number three. Four innings, two hits, two walks, four strikeouts. World Series appearance number four. Four innings, seven hits, five runs, three walks, five strikeouts. And finally, World Series appearance number five. Seven innings, seven hits, four runs, no walks, five strikeouts, three homers allowed. So in five World Series appearances, player A has allowed a grand total of 16 World Series runs. So let's go to player B. Player B, World Series appearance number one. We already went over this in our first five logs, but to refresh, eight shutout, two walks, six strikeouts, just three hits. World Series appearance number two, seven innings, two hits, no runs, two walks, eight strikeouts. So his first 15 World Series innings, player B has not allowed an earned run. Appearance number three, seven innings, three hits, one run, one walk, five strikeouts. Appearance number four, nine innings of shutout baseball, four hits, no walks, eight strikeouts. And World Series appearance number five, five innings, two hits, no walks, and four strikeouts. So that is one run, one measly run over 36 World Series innings. 36 innings, one run. You want to know what that calculates in terms of an ERA? It is minuscule. When you do the math on one run over 36 innings, it accounts to an ERA of .25. That's amazing. So you have the same amount of World Series appearances between player A and player B. Even though player A has more than double the total postseason appearances of player B. So you take team success into account a little bit here as well. And to also make a point about team success, team A, so player A's team, has been in the postseason nine times in this player's professional career. Player B's team has been in the playoffs four times in this player's professional career. Three times of those four, player B's team reached the World Series. Two times of the nine, player A's team 
reach the World Series. So you've got the total comparison here now. You've run through pretty much all the numbers. So let me give you the career statistics in the regular season of these two players. I would say that when you're looking at the full scope of it, even though the sample size for player A is bigger in terms of appearances and innings, I still have to go with player B because player B has shown that he can do it on the biggest of stages time and time again. But if you want to make a real argument about who is the better pitcher, let us take some of the regular season statistics into account here. So the regular season stats for player A are as follows. Player A has won the Cy Young Award three times. He is an eight-time All-Star, has won the ERA title five different times. Overall, player A has a career record of 169 and 74 with a 244 career earned run average. He has finished in the top three in Cy Young Award voting six different times, making the All-Star team in each of those years. Player A has also won an MVP award. Now, player B is a four-time All-Star, a three-time World Series champion, and has also won the Silver Slugger Award twice, which is somewhat significant for a pitcher. His career statistics are a record of 119 and 92, a 313 career earned run average. So player B has got some very good statistics, but player A's regular season stats are better. Player B has won 15 or more games four different times in his career. Player A, meanwhile, has won 15 or more games six different times in his career, including two seasons of at least 20 wins. Player B has never won 20 games in a season. So we've compared it all pretty much at this point. I would have to say that as an overall pitcher, player A is better. But as a postseason pitcher, player B is better. So let's take this into account. Player A has a career postseason ERA over four. Player B has a career postseason ERA just above two. Player B has been in the playoffs four times and has won three World Series. Player A has been in the playoffs nine times and has made five World Series appearances. Player B has also made five World Series appearances, and Player B's World Series statistics blow Player A's out of the water. So, let's do the big reveal. Who is Player A? Who is Player B? Who do I think is a better overall pitcher when you take postseason stats combined into regular season stats? So, let me just give you my explanation. Player A has the awards. Player A has a better career ERA, but a 2.44 ERA is not that much better in retrospect than a 3.13 career ERA. Granted, both of these guys are starting pitchers. So the ERA numbers are great for player A and are very good for player B. Player A has a very rocky postseason record. Player B has an exceptional postseason record. Player A has terrible World Series statistics relative to Player B, and granted, when you give up one earned run in 36 World Series innings, you are elite. 
So who are these players and who do I think is better? I think you take the World Series into account. I think you take the amount of shutouts that he's had in the postseason into account. I got to go with player B. So who is player A? Well, if you follow baseball closely enough, you probably can discern that player A and player B are both still playing. Player A is Clayton Kershaw. Player B is Madison Bumgarner. And I go with Mad Bum as the better overall pitcher because of his postseason statistics. That, I think, is the narrative that separates Bumgarner from Kershaw. Now, the thing that I wanted to do here is this. People think that Kershaw is a bad postseason pitcher. Kershaw has actually had some really solid performances in the postseason. Kershaw has not been a good World Series pitcher. Now, a lot of people are going to think that Kershaw's failures in Houston are a result of the sign-stealing scandal, and maybe they are. But there's enough evidence to suggest that Kershaw's had enough blow-up outings in the postseason. Madison Bumgarner has not had a blow-up outing in the World Series. Madison Bumgarner has gone seven or more innings nine different times in 16 postseason appearances. Clayton Kershaw has gone seven or more innings seven times in 32 postseason appearances. So you compare sample size against success, I still think that Bumgarner puts up the same numbers if he has a larger sample than Clayton Kershaw. I got to go with Bumgarner just because that's what I believe is the right choice. So a lot of people will probably look at this and say, well, what did these numbers prove? The numbers prove, in my opinion, that postseason success should absolutely be taken into account when measuring the greatness of a pitcher against one another. And granted, during this time of COVID-19, we're trying to do a lot of comparative statistics to determine who's better and people are coming up with lists and all that. I just think it's a good exercise to educate people on how postseason success goes into the narrative that one has about somebody else. I think Clayton Kershaw is a great pitcher, but until Clayton Kershaw puts up the type of numbers that Madison Bumgarner has, and granted, I don't think anybody's going to come close to achieving the World Series success of Mad Bum, but until Kershaw and the Dodgers win a World Series... And until that narrative of him as a postseason choke, which he isn't based on some of the starts, but his World Series numbers are less than stellar. Until he can put up the type of numbers that are comparable to those that have contributed to a team winning a World Series, I can't elevate Kershaw above Bumgarner. If Kershaw and the Dodgers had a World Series under their belt, I think this argument would be a lot different. But the Giants reached the playoffs fewer times with Madison Bumgarner as a part of the team, and they won the World Series three of those four times. The Dodgers have reached the World Series twice in the nine years that the Dodgers have made the postseason with Kershaw on the roster. They have not won a World Series. So take from this what you will. I think it's a great exercise in trying to take out biases when it comes to comparing players. 
This has been another edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. And as always, we will catch you in the AM.